That's outstanding. Like a farmer in his field. We are an ecosystem of things and ideas. I could pick up some more big words like portmanteau and soliloquy. My middle name is innovation, and my other middle name is paradigm shift. Carry on, James. Carry on. We're going to serve up some juicy stories like a hot plate of pancakes. All right. It's time for another edition of the Channel Features podcast, Coffee with Craig and James. I'm the editorial director of Channel Futures, Craig Galbraith. That's right. That's me. Uh, joining me, as always, is our senior news editor, Mr. Anderson, Mr. James Anderson. James, how are you? Oh, Craig, life is good. I'm caffeinated, I'm feeling sociable, feeling energetic. Um, a little shocked to see that we are so close to that appointed mm-hmm. time. You know, got the uh, adrenaline running. You know, it's crunch time. It is. It is crunch time. You know, that's right. As you alluded to, this ain't no regular edition. Hit me. It's the. It's the. We have to. I got kind of yell for this one. Is it's the pre-show edition? That's what we do. That's like a tradition. It is. It is with the pre-show edition, and not only that, uh, James. So we long talked about what it would be like to get to episode one twenty-three in 2023 right and we did it and it didn't take all year to get there i'm impressed yeah we've been we've been crunching it out craig we've been we've been making some progress here we're steady we're steady we certainly have uh so let's do uh let's check in with you see what's yeah. going on with you yeah a little uh what do we do personal deep dive yeah, well, I'd love to. Oh, oh gosh, I have to give you a sound effect here because I, I would love to. I would love to get a personal deep dive from you, Craig. A, 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 a personal deep dive. Oh, for me first. You're asking from me you. first. Yeah, all yeah. Right. The elders, uh, you defer to your elder. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, it's been all puppy all the time around here. If you remember the last uh, podcast. We talked about uh, Maisie, the new pup. Uh, She hadn't arrived yet, but now she has. She's been with us a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, it's been been a lot of fun. A lot of uh, uh, evenings where I have to wake up in the middle of the night and run her out. But she's getting to the point now where she's uh, pretty much sleeping through the night, at least until like a little after five. It was last night. So I'll I'll take that any day. Uh, She's been fun. Her other dog, Louie, who's actually her half-brother, uh is uh he wasn't so sure at first but now he's really uh enjoying playing with her so it's it's been a good time yeah it's fun you love it when they get along i love that oh yeah yeah so how about you Uh, what's up in your life well i mean i got a little sick last Mm. week got over that um downer yeah, but got that out of the way just in time for the travel season. So I got Aruba. I'm at Aruba this week. Perhaps mm. I'm there. Who knows? Um, Aruba Atmosphere. Um, HP Aruba Atmosphere. So I'm in that world, very different world from the uh, Channel Partners Conference and Expo world. That is our flagship show that I'll be at the week after that. Both these shows are in Vegas, Craig. So I'm going to Vegas. I'm coming back to Washington. I'm going back to Vegas. And it's going to be a, a full a full week in Vegas uh, starting May 1st. Um, that I'm so excited for. 
so much planning going on for me right now. Um, I, I told you before, like, I thought that I was sort of in the eighth inning in terms of like getting all my meetings scheduled, but it looks like I was really in the second or third inning. Ooh. And now those meetings, meeting requests are coming in and, and that, that schedule is getting packed, packed, I tell you. Um, but that's, you know, that's, uh, that's what's going on there. So, yeah. Well, you're a, you're a man in demand. I know that you've got a bunch of briefings already set up for the event, uh, which just means, uh, you know, that little, we talk about that little trot you do on mm-hmm. stage, it's going to be, it have to be faster. It's going to have to be a full on run to make sure you, you get everywhere you have to be. I'm trying everywhere, you know, I was thinking about doing there. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a walk, like there's a walk the channel, I think event or walk or run the channel. Yeah, I don't know what morning it is, and I was thinking about it, and I can't. I I don't know if I can do three mile a three mile walk because like I'm gonna walk three miles later that day. Like just like <laughs> going from cool. one meeting, and I'm terrible at scheduling meetings back to back meetings in similar places. It's like here, here, here. I mean, I'm terrible at it, but it's great for my you know my exercise. Not my my shins aren't gonna be very happy though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's true. Don't get shin splints. Oh, I try. I try not to. <laughs> Um, so, Craig, what do we got coming up on the cast today? Oh, yeah, we should probably talk about that, right? Um, so a big preview. Uh, we've talked, of course, a lot about the incredible content we're going to have on stage and networking events, everything going on the next week in Las Vegas. Uh, so basically, I figure if we haven't convinced you to come by now, I, I'm not sure what will. A message from like a very personal, like, vision from like one's favorite celebrity maybe <laughs> maybe that would do it i don't know yeah yeah what what he said yeah <laughs> um but craig uh you do have one thing in your back pocket mm. one, one ace up our sleeve our respective no. sleeve um no. so one big interview ahead of the show for someone that we're going to be talking to there um on the cast today we have Marty Wolf, who's one of the most knowledgeable people on the planet when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. And he's got some particular uh, some particular knowledge um, when it comes to partner MA. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good interview. Uh, there, of course, James here, uh, there's a tie-in to CP Expo. Tim Mueller, who is president of Martin Wolf MA Advisors. We'll be on our keynote stage on Monday morning, moderating a panel. We've got some MSPs who have gone through the M&A process, uh, legal advisors, and more to help our entire partner audience that's going to be there with some advice on selling their business, accepting private investment, that sort of thing. It's the very first keynote after our own Bobby DiMarzo and Kelly Danziger present on the state of the market. So get there early. Get your plate of food, your bacon and eggs, whatever they got ready for you. Sit down. It's going to be quite a show. Yeah, I, I think you're going to enjoy the keynotes. I think um, I think the content is more and more geared to the partners than ever. Challenges partners face, and uh, this is uh, this is going to be a fun keynote time. And it's always good breakfast. So right, get up there go hand and, in hand. And we won't judge you if you're a little groggy. You know. Just par for the course. We'll get or if you go back for more, if you go back for a second plate. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Be yourself. Be yourself. 
All right, James, let's uh, let's dig into this interview with Marty Wolf. Yeah. All right, James, really excited for our guest today. Marty Wolf. Marty is managing partner at Martin Wolf Advisors. Really excited to be uh, talking a little bit about M&A today. He is one of the preeminent folks in the M&A space and can definitely talk channel as well. Marty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we get started, I, I want to say that James tried to branch off with his own company. It was uh, James Anderson Advisors, but nobody could really take him seriously. I mean, you, you've got a name that you can you can do that, but, but James couldn't. We suffer similarly, James. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I tried. They kept telling me I, that it was a fake name. So um, James Anderson <laughs> is pretty common. I can tell you, it got a lot easier as we got uh, more successful and had more precedent transactions. It was very difficult when we started. You know, the first reference I had were people that I acquired as a principal when I worked for an aggregator distributor, and that's not exactly the same. Being an intermediary is completely different than being a principal, where you get to go left and right. In a meter, you have to kind of maneuver and so forth. So um, I, I'm sensitive to that. Well, um, you know, I'd love to, to start this off by maybe talking a little bit big picture, because um, when I'm talking to partners about M&A, whether they um, are thinking of buying, whether they're thinking of selling. Um, I find the, the economy invariably getting brought up. I have some people telling me um, that an economic downturn is is negatively affecting valuations. And I, I imagine there's like nuance to that. Um, you know, I'd love to know what you're seeing generally on the economy and, and its relationship to M&A right now, and, and maybe any advice for partners navigating M&A in this economy. economy. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very simple question. It's a very direct question people ask, and it's a very complicated answer because things vary. So I'll, I'll give you I'll start with a metaphor. Ted Williams, you guys follow baseball at all? Mm -hmm. well, arguably, sure. arguably one of the greatest hitters of all time was Ted Williams. We all know that Ted Williams hit 406 in, in 1941. Most people know his career batting average was 344. Um, so it was a downturn. The next year, 2000, excuse me, the following year he had 406, he had 356. That was higher than his lifetime average, but less than 406. Would you call that a down year? We used to sell companies for four to six times EBIT. We sold companies for three and four times EBIT. And we, there were publicly traded companies in the space that you cover that traded at a discount to net working capital. So the last two years, were the best years ever that I've been in the business in 26 years. Prior to that, the best period was 2007, and 2008 was not a very good period. And the better period before that was during the dot-com period. And so they each followed with down periods. So anything by comparison to last year is not going to fare well. We worked with clients who we never physically met, we sold a company to a buyer we never physically met, and they never met them. Um, so it, it's, it's an anomaly. And with interest rates being zero, and in Europe they were negative, any transaction that you could put together was accretive. And I don't want to get all wonky with you, but if you're a public company and you borrow money at zero and you have X amount of shares outstanding, on the measures that matter are earnings per share or is it accretive? They're all accretive. Any transaction was accretive. That doesn't mean it was smart. And you saw a lot of transactions that weren't well designed. If you look at Office Depot buying CompuCom, 
that's one of the craziest deals of all time. They lost $800 million in 24 months. That's, that's a lot. They lost 80% of the value of the company. So today, there is a real cost to funds. Um, the larger companies, the, the larger companies have um, more difficulty than the smaller companies. Uh, I can tell you, uh, there's a lane for a larger company to become a platform. So you can work with private equity, you can be the platform company, you can get financing, and you can get a good exit today and roll equity. If you want to merge into a platform company of size, and assuming you have some size, it makes it more difficult today because what lenders want to do is they want to redial the financing for the original investment, which means now you have to stand on your own merits, and then you have to add enough value that you can, you can suffer through the cost of increasing the debt, if that makes, if that makes any sense. So, so the answer is, um, if you're smallish, and I, when we focus on the mid-market space, uh, you will not get the same valuation, and you won't get the same terms. It was clear to us as intermediaries, we were at the top over a year ago when we had two or three transactions, all over $100 million of enterprise value, and they allowed the operator to leave day one. So if you go back to a normal period, uh, you'd have to stick around for one to two years, generally. Uh, some people obviously want to stay longer, but one to two years, you have to deliver the business. You would get generally 60 to 70% of the total valuation at closing, and the difference would be something else. Uh, it could be you have to grow a lot to get paid. You may just have to deliver the business that you forecasted to get paid. You may get a note. You may get stock. Uh, there are people getting 100% cash at closing and allowed to leave day one, and those haven't worked out. So the answer is that period doesn't exist, but there is a market. The value of your company is determined by the marketplace, and there's a value today uh, for these companies, and they are, they are trading. We just announced a deal. We sold a Microsoft company, like I think yesterday. Um, in U.S. in Milan, and they sold to a private equity-backed European company in the, the Netherlands. We'll be announcing next week a transaction with an Australian private equity group selling a U.S. Microsoft Azure company to a U.S. company. Those have not been impacted whatsoever, and those are what I call the lower middle market. So it, it's very mixed. I can tell you that uh, the largest public companies are having a more difficult time and I expect that to happen for the for the near term. So I hope that's a, a direct answer. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, somebody interesting perspective there um, in terms of, of what we see as, as positive and negative, right? The, the Ted Williams comparison, I thought that was great. I also was thinking, as you said that, if, if the elimination of the shift this year is going to help uh, some uh, hitters get up to 400 again. I don't know if it's going to be enough. I think that... Um, <laughs> That depending on the company, and, and one of the things I want to emphasize, there's no real comps. And, and when you announce a transaction, all you have is revenue generally. And, and if it's a large company buying a small one, it's de minimis, they don't announce. If it's private equity, they don't announce it. So very few transactions get announced. I would argue we have the best data of anybody. And all you can expect to have is revenue and maybe EBIT. And EBIT is a very interesting uh, story because we work with Insight. Um, they bought a company called Datalink. Datalink was a Minneapolis-based publicly traded company. We paid about $265 million. The CEO of our company said we paid five and a half times EBIT. The seller, the public company, said they got 11 and a half times EBIT. It's the same business, except in this case, we included cost synergies. 
They didn't include cost synergies. So that's misleading. So if you go back to all you normally have is revenue and sometimes EBIT, then EBIT is also kind of confusing. And then the next question is, is what's the trajectory of the growth of the business? Because businesses are always sold, not on trailing, they're always sold on futures. So if James has a business that is 5 million of EBIT, and Craig, you've got a business that's 5 million of EBIT, but he's going to do twice as much next year as you are, his business is worth twice as much as yours. And you don't have that when, when a, a company is, is transacted. So then you get into, so these businesses are valued based on growth, based on the recurring nature of the revenue, which is a different dynamic that's happened in the past. Um, top size matters, vertical matters, customer set matters. Those things are not clear when you, when you look at transactions. So I can make an argument that if I have a very fast growing company uh, in a desirable space, uh, there's no impact whatsoever, and you'll have uh, multiple people trying to buy the company. If, on the other hand, because uh, at, at the core of these companies, and I'll go back to the beginning, I started with they, these companies were called resellers, and then they were called VARs, and then they were called solution providers, and then they're called systems integrators, and now they're and then they were cloud. Now they're MSPs. I joke that my wife used to be a cloud because that was the highest value that we participate in, but now MSPs are, are quite desirable. They don't trade the same multiples as some of the application services companies or the quote-unquote cloud companies, but everybody wants to be an MSP today, whether you're 80% product, 20% product, everybody wants to be an MSP today. But within that, within that segment, there's value differentiators, and it makes, it makes, a, it makes a big difference at the end. Um, so, so that's that. Very, very interesting, Marty. Before we go any further, I wanted to bring up the uh, partnership that we have with uh, you guys, uh, with ITX Martin Wolf Company, uh, on this M&A marketplace that uh, facilitates the sale of IT-enabled businesses. Uh, I've put a link uh, right there on the screen that people can see. It'll also be available and applicable on the landing page of this podcast. So, Marty, let's drill down on MSPs uh, just a little bit. Uh, you talked about it a little bit, but I want to dive uh, a bit deeper. So as you're advising in M&A, uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing now uh, with MSP deals, uh, common deal structures, that sort of thing? In the space that we're in, and we focus on IT services, which is very broad infrastructure, applications, so forth, IT supply chain, those are people that touch products, whether it's Cisco or whatever it might be. Um, and then software as a service. The most desirable in-demand space we participate in is the MSP space. So through our, through our ITX product, we recently listed a company that was mid-market, uh, which I define as less than $25 million worth of enterprise value. And they had 100 people raise their hand saying, I, I want to sign a non-disclosure, which we signed. And then we, we, we um, solicited them to kind of indicate what their thoughts were on the value of the company, where it fit in, because we couldn't have meetings with 100 people. It's overwhelming. It disrupts the business. So we had them describe why they liked the business, what their concerns were about the business, what affected the valuation of the business. Do they have any experience in the business? Do they have financing in place? Do they have management in place? What do they want to do with the owner and so forth? We narrowed down to 20. And we got eight or 10 bits, and we, we, we sold the company. So the trend is they're very desirable. Uh, but I, I take a step further back that – when you decide to sell your company, multiples don't matter. You get confused sometimes. What matters is what's the enterprise value? What do I put in my pocket? I separate cash from other because all you ever get when you sell your company is the cash portion. If you get 100% cash, you get 100% cash. If you do 60-40 with you roll over equity, in effect, you're buying equity in this new company. 
And the most important thing is because it's very disruptive is you need to have a number in your mind that's achievable. Uh, we focus on finding people that have expectations that are reasonable, are beatable. So if, if uh, James thinks his business is worth $32 million and we think it's worth $25 million, it's not an opportunity for us because we want to delight our client. We want to get paid at the end. This is not a business that you make money in, on retainers and commitment fees. If, on the other hand, he thinks his business is worth $26 million, we think it's worth $32 million, then that's something we're going to focus and spend some time and energy on. Uh, so it's important to have a reasonable expectation that is supported by the market, which is not just a multiple. It goes back to what I said before about growth and, and what you'll look like over the next 12 months. Because with a good intermediary, you can sell your company based on the next 12 months, assuming you take a little bit of risk. So if you're a fast grower, if you're growing faster than the market's decline, and the fast growers have grown faster than the market's decline over the last 12 months, you're normal. That means you'll take a little bit more risk, but you can achieve that. That's, that's, that's number one. And the reason why it's critically important is, uh, you know, you talk about trends. The, the last couple of years, we have some really happy clients, and that's how we get our business. They were first people because they felt they exited at a perfect time, um, and they did. The time today is perfect if you want to exit your business and you have a strategy on, on why it makes sense and so forth. And I'm not just talking about people that are old that want to retire. That's an obvious one. But there are companies that if they merged with somebody else, and this goes back to what T. Boone's Pickens once said about the oil market. At one time, the cheapest oil you could buy was on the New York Stock Exchange floor because there was an imbalance between price and, and cost. So that there are a lot of combinations that can be done where you can identify certain costs that could take out, forget marketing synergies, which is bonus, that creates more value. So you get two guys that come together or two gals that come together or a guy and a gal come together, and you can create value by just putting these businesses together. And to the extent you can get some marketing synergies, uh, then it becomes very dynamic, and that makes sense all the time. And to the extent you're losing business to larger competitors, I, I feel bad for a company that's got great expertise in a high-value space, that does not have private equity and that compete with strategic, it's very difficult. In our case, um, we are very effective with about four or 500 million of enterprise value, at which point we're too much risk for those companies to retain. And I, I don't agree with it, but I understand the logic behind it. They get somebody with a bigger balance sheet that if something happens bad, uh, it's a more credible brand, you know, whether it's EY or Goldman Sachs or whatever. And, and the same thing applies to some of these people. So that's an argument that says, I'm going to do a transaction to improve my position, not to exit the business. So there's lots of reasons why it makes sense. And I think that uh, you need to be very smart and uh, cogent uh, and unemotional. And I'll, I'll, I'll add one other comment. If, if I was younger and I'm not, and I wasn't tied up in a day-to-day -day business, I think you can make more money over the next five years doing what you cover than have been made over the last five years. The business is that dynamic and that changing because at the end of the day, particularly, you know, you talk with Ingram and what they're trying to do in terms of building a platform and e-commerce and how that kind of shapes out what that means. That means that if you're really good at managing people, whether it's sales or technology people that accumulate customers, that's your core business. And to the extent you can do that effectively, you can have you now have a pipe to put more products and services. And then all of a sudden you get the same rep who's doing more business with them. And that's why I've always been intrigued with the integration bar MSP space because these are some of the most clever, hardy people that have been forced to reinvent their business every year. And they do.
Yeah, well, that's a, a really, that's a good answer to the question that we, we had in here, which is what's, what do you look at as the state of the middle market managed IT services industry? What I'm hearing from you is that there's great opportunity in that. And, and I'm really curious, like, how consolidated is this middle market MSP space or, or uh, some of the, some of the other categories that you've included in addition to, to MSP, like, just just how how much room is there to go in terms of M&A? Oh, I think we're in the second inning. And it's interesting because it's largely been driven by private equity. And, and we've done a lot with private equity. We probably have five or 600 private equity groups in our database. And we do have a rudimentary artificial intelligence. So we, we know when we get a company who the likely suspect is going to be. However, they, they, I don't know if you have children, but, you know, like 10 and 11-year-old girls playing soccer, they, it's all bunch ball. They all just chase the ball all around. And that's what private equity does largely. And today they're chasing uh, managed services providers. The people that have a hard time paying higher multiples will then buy a VAR and say, I'm going to grow it into an MSP. Um, but they tend to track those spaces. And, um, you know, it's the 80-20 rule. I think that we're just the beginning stage of a consolidation in the MSP space. The reason I think that is because when we list a VAR or when we list an MSP, you have to figure out how you're going to limit the people to talk to because there's too many people saying, I'm interested. And by the way, that affects the price. Yeah. Got one more question for you, Marty, but before we do, I want to uh, promote a session that's uh, coming up at the Channel Partners Conference and Expo May 1st through the 4th in Las Vegas. Uh, and that is uh, one of your folks, Tim Mueller, uh, president there, and Martin Wolf. He's going to uh, be moderating this session. It's called Understanding Today's New Realities. It happens uh, on Monday, actually, as the event is basically kicking off on May 1st. Looking forward to seeing him get some panelists up there, some people have been through M&A. Uh, I think we've got an investor uh, on that panel as well, so it should be pretty uh, informational uh, for our attendees. He's, he's a pretty but capable guy. He is, and we've had him on a webcast here previously. We've talked to him a number of times about uh, the, the partnership with uh, ITX, and it's been uh, it's been terrific. So, Marty, before we let you go, I'm just kind of uh, curious, uh, maybe a little perspective on somebody who's been through m and I, I want some uh, real-life lessons for anybody out there in the partner audience that's considering selling their business or taking an investment. Well, what are people learning uh, maybe that sold maybe a year or two ago? Well, what have they learned from the whole process? I think it's almost, that's a very interesting question, it's almost a spiritual process. And what's what's limiting in the mid-market MSP space are domain experts with relationships. So there are people that are trusted that could be your lawyer, uh, could be your accountant. And, and frankly, there's some generalists who are not domain experts in this space that are trusted advisors. Um, oftentimes, um, and, and obviously we fulfill that role some of the time, um, you, you really need to understand you don't want to start a process that you don't finish. It's very disruptive. And, and I, I wrote down some notes here, which I think is interesting because um, you, you have to at some point include your senior management team. And at some point uh, you introduce them to a prospective buyer and you have to introduce them with the idea that you support this. Uh, you don't know those people that well and they could damage you going forward if the transaction doesn't happen. At some point, with some of your senior people, you lock them in with stay pay packages. At some point, you negotiate on their behalf and uh, allow them to get rollover equity or all, whatever the financial engineering gets done. And sometimes, if you're not careful, um, 
you, you end up with customer issues or vendor issues or employee issues because this stuff gets leaked out. So the most important decision is, is this something I'm committed to see to the end? What I see a lot, uh, not with us, I see a lot because we get a lot of people on, on the rebound is where they just throw up their hands at the end because, you know, I'll give you an example. This is a true story. Very sophisticated Microsoft dynamic company. Um, they hired a big bank. They got ready to close. One of the founders, a guy on 36% of the company, he borrowed against his stock to buy a home, a, a lake home, because he was going to be rich. The deal didn't close. So now he's borrowing against his wife's ROA and IRA and his ROA, paying penalties, and they eventually sold the company two years later. And it was very disruptive for him personally. But along the way, they lost some senior people. So you have to be and, – and, and in today's world, you need to have conviction. You need to have conviction two years ago. So you need to understand what's my confidence level that I can get my price with a good outcome. And I'll tell you something else. There's two kinds of clients, the people that say they care about their workers and do, and the people that say they care about their workers and don't. So you need to really focus on what of those you are because um, – you know, we sold a company in Michigan, and the guy said, um, and it was a brilliant company. It had a SaaS component and had a outsourcing component. And the outsourcing component could be anywhere in the world, ideally India. And he said, I'm not going to sell it to anybody that's going to outsource the people. I go, fine. You're, it's your company. Let me show you how much it's going to cost you. And we sold the business for $86 million. It was worth $150 million. And he took 86 and he was happy. Um, I've seen people say, I only care about the workers. And you come back with $4 more and they go, screw the workers. So you need to kind of be settled in, understand, have your bearings, be thoughtful about it, and then uh, persevere because there's a lot of ups and downs and so forth. Um, but to get to the finish line, uh, and in many cases have uh, either generational wealth or secured wealth for yourself, it's a big deal because EBITDA is not cash. These businesses that are growing need reinvestment, and I see a lot of people that make not a lot of money that have businesses that represent over 100% of their net worth, which means the rest of their net worth is negative, right? So you keep investing, keep investing, and you're one customer loss away from uh, not hitting. So it, it, it's very dynamic, and in some cases it makes sense. In other cases it doesn't make sense. So yeah. those are my thoughts. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Marty. That's a very – that's a really good takeaway, conviction – knowing what you're doing and sticking with that. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Marty. Um, I, I think the casties are going to love this a lot. I really enjoyed the candor, some of those examples that you shared. So uh, thanks so much. My pleasure. I hope it's helpful. And I wish you guys a lot of luck. Be well. Thank you. You, you too. as well. Bye -bye. Thank you, Marty. Bye-bye. All right, James. So really good stuff there with Marty. Uh, I don't think we have to tell anybody in our audience that M&A has been like one of the biggest topics, it's like we say every year that it's one of the biggest topics, right, on, on Channel Futures and the reporting we do. But I think we've been saying it now for five or six years straight. So at this point, it's just sort of ubiquitous. It's what's happening. We're getting this consolidation in security space, in unified communications. It's, it's just a way of life these days. And it's having a profound impact on uh, partners. Yeah, and I think there's just so much interest in the partners themselves and like, both the MSPs and the, the agents have, have types of recurring revenue. And it's like the investors are super hot on that. And um, and they're into it. They're, they're going for it. And so partners have options. I think there's a contingent of partners that don't, don't want to do that. And I think that they are going to be uh, working more closely with one another to, to make sure they have like the, the collaboration they need to like 
have all the resources they need to stay successful and competitive. And, and um, there's certainly just going to be more players um, like private equity backed players, other sorts of uh, types of strategic buyers entering the space, other, um, other things to happen. People tell me that uh, um, we're in the second or third inning. Other folks say that we're going to have the first recapitaliz- first big recapitalization in the, in the technology advisor side coming up in the next two years. So, so much to watch. So much to watch, Craig. How appropriate. That's your second reference to innings. Marty talked about it. Baseball season just kicked off uh, this month. Mind blown. Like I really hit a home run there, Craig. Yeah, maybe a triple. All right, James. (laughs) That's about it for us today. If you'd like to check out the archive of Coffee with Craig and James, uh, you can get us just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, we're now on video. You can check us out on Vimeo.com. And of course, we enjoy it most when you check us out on the news site. ChannelFutures.com. Thanks so much for joining us. We are super excited to see you next week at the Channel Partners Conference and Expo and MSP Summit. Come up, say hi. It's going to be a good time. Bring your Meprazole, everybody. We're going we're gonna to have some fun. Mm-hmm.